In the year 1831, biologist Charles Darwin began a fateful journey on the HMS Beagle. On that journey, Darwin formulated the controversial theory of evolution which has impacted society down to this day. Our goal is to punch holes in that theory, so we'd like to welcome you to Sink the Beagle. Fire one, Captain! Way to go, Stan. Nice shot. boy. That torpedo just hit the dead center of the HMS Beagle, and down she went. I'm Stan Hudson. And I'm John Kurlinski. Welcome you to another great episode of Sink the Beagle, where we take a lighthearted look at the heavy issues, the heavyweight stuff involving creation evolution. We are unabashed creationists. But we do everything in a lighthearted way. Very nice. We're very, very nice. We, we don't we don't want to just humor smash there. mouth our way into your brain. Well, unless we have to. Unless we have take no prisoners. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, Stan, we'd like to begin today's program a little bit by mm. saying I believe in natural selection. <laughs> you believe in natural? I thought that's evolution. No, I believe that the father should naturally select oh. the person who's going to marry his daughter and produce grandchildren. That's yes, natural. I'm that's my very grandkids. natural. Yes. I believe in that too. <laughs> uh, my, don't tell my daughter that. <laughs> my daughter already knows no, that. <laughs> my daughter, I think, does too. Mm-hmm. She wants to seek and our if they're approval. Listening. If yes. they're listening, take heart. <laughs> uh, no natural selection. Now, natural selection, of course, is uh, Darwin's view of how evolution works you know the weakest of the die species off. die off and the strongest survive and, and the implication of that is that hey you know what we're all just getting a whole lot better we used to be some <laughs> dumb apes and now we're kind of smart and we can reason and we've come a long way since darwin we can make pop tarts and tootsie rolls <laughs> yeah. and popsicles that's a whole lot better than ook ook huh yeah i tell you isn't that evidence that we are definitely progressing as a race and a striving for greater heights than we've had before? Well, uh, evolutionists tend to believe that we are getting better. And of course, one of the people we want to talk to today is somebody who bought into Darwin's theory, hook, line, and sinker. It was his cousin. His cousin, Galton. Francis Galton. Francis Galton. Sir Francis Galton, please. Oh, excuse me for breathing. Um. (laughs) Francis Galton is an Englishman who... He and Darwin had the same grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, so they were cousins and first. Uh, he, at first, and he uh, he grew up, actually, when his father died, there was a fortune left to him, and he, this is one of these fellows, a very bright man, very uh, educated early on. He was able to read and write very young. He, got, he, got a, he didn't get a doctoral degree, despite mm-hmm. all that. He did get a bachelor's degree from uh, Cambridge. And a dollar degree from grandpa, from dad's estate. Because Which allowed he, him to be lazy. <laughs> he, no, actually, here's a fellow who is very intelligent, tremendous curiosity, had lots of time on his hand and money to do whatever he wanted to and did some good inventions. Yes. He, he, actually, he's credited with several things. If you ever watched the weather map, he's responsible. <laughs> the weather map. He invented the weather map. And of course, the very famous silent dog whistle that you blow and the dog hears, but you don't. You don't, which is a good thing. Yes. Uh, there should be kid whistles, but anyway. But, well, uh, Galton, Sir Galton, mm-hmm. whatever, Francis Galton, mm-hmm. he also, though, read. 
uh, Darwin's book, his cousin's book. Yes. And that was the book. He read it in 1869. He wrote to Darwin that that book had changed his life. Oh, how It nice. formed a real crisis in my life. Oh. Your book drove away my constant old superstition. Oh. And, you know, superstition, I, what? based on religion and design. Oh. As it had been a nightmare and was the first to give me freedom of thought. Uh, he came or, out or, into the light. As Richard Dawkins mm-hmm. said, Darwin allowed it to, allowed for us to become philosophically fulfilled atheists. Well, that that Blind that freed... maker play six. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. That's right. And Francis uh, was feeling good about things, <clears throat> and he was so excited about it. Of course, he spent much of the rest of his life developing other theories and other views that are based on his cousin's work. And one of those led him to decide, and, and here's, here's where he was uh, suggesting that we're getting better, we're evolving into... Smarter, higher creatures. higher creatures and everything. The What he thought would help that process along would be natural selection, shall we Na- say, or unnatural, whatever you want to call it. Well, I guess you would say... you <laughs> little help. Uh, self-directed selection. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Self-directed by humanity. In other words... I thought we, we already do that when we pick mates. Well, uh, not, yeah. not oh, quite. We can't... Beyond that. No, beyond picking just who, you, who your son-in-law is going to be. Okay. This is sort of weeding out the competition. It's not so much the choice of who your daughter is going to get. Who the who is not who, who is not going to touch your daughter or go near your ah, daughter. Okay. It's weeding out the bad ones. Ah. uh, Let's just call it the cleansing of the gene pool, so to speak. Oh, my goodness. Some of us uh, fathers might see some merit in that. You can look look on the streets and see some kids that have some extra weighted jewelry around their nose and their eyeballs and their tongue and say, you know, I hope they don't reproduce themselves. (laughs) Oh, listen to this. But uh, in 1883, Francis Galton uh, coined the term eugenics. And now eugenics comes from two words, the Greek word you, which means good, like eulogy, a good word. Eugenics means good birth. And so he wanted to study ways in which the human race could be improved physically and mentally. And as he thought about it, and remember, he's like his cousin, becoming uh, anywhere from a, uh, you know, kind of an agnostic to all the way to pure atheism by the end of his life. He he left God out of it, basically, and he wanted to just simply think of how can we improve the human race? And well, the, and one of his solutions or one of the things is that, well, certain people don't need to be allowed to breed. Ah, Certain people probably, you know, their brain size isn't quite large enough. There are a certain type of humans that really don't quite have the full enlightened capacity as the... European British white male, mm-hmm. which it really came down yeah. to in some respects, exactly. because in many ways, uh, his own ideas uh, furthered the concept of, of of racism, we could say, in mm-hmm. our world, mm-hmm. and, and, and furthered other concepts. So he says, people shouldn't be allowed to breed, so how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, some of uh, our listeners can already imagine what that kind of thinking can lead to. And it, in fact, actually did lead to some very serious changes in, in, the, in the way some people looked at, oh, anywhere from certain races of people to mentally handicapped people to so on. People that, uh, you know, if you looked at it strictly on the basis of what he was talking about, ought to be left out of the, the reproducing gene pool. And his influence was quite wide. In fact, mm-hmm. so that by 1913, you know, uh, in the United mm-hmm. States, they had laws allowing the compulsory sterilization of those who were deemed unfit. 
Ah. In other words, the uh, culture would sterilize the males, obviously, okay. of, uh, of people who were criminals, the mentally retarded, drug addicts, paupers, the blind, and paupers. the deaf, and people with epilepsy, oh. tuberculosis, or syphilis. My goodness. There were laws that, you know, eight, over 8,000 procedures were done in Lynchburg, Virginia alone, and isolated wow. instances continued even into the 1970s. I remember hearing of things, and I was a younger guy. Yeah, yeah about you, you go to the mental institutions, mm-hmm. you come out not only, if you ever get out, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do things to you there, and they fix you from ever having to allow your genes to reproduce themselves. Sweden and Norway and Canada were also places where this was done and that forced sterilizations during uh, during this last century. But in Germany in eight, 1933, Hitler's government, we've heard of Adolf Hitler, <clears throat> ordered the compulsory sterilization of all German citizens with, quote, undesirable handicaps, not just those in custody or in an institution or something. It's, you know, it was a way to prevent contamination of, of the, the superior race. Yeah, the superior and, and, race. And, of course, they even took it the one step further. Not only do we compulsorily sterilize the good Germans who have un uh, savory characteristics, mm-hmm. but we also get rid of the races that we just deem less than yeah. pure Aryan, and mm-hmm. that led to the final solution. Was there ish, there, there was the outworking of Darwinism and, and eugenetics and, and Galton's uh, Sir Galton's uh, ideas mm-hmm. exactly so and and so evolution can have social consequences far beyond just our understanding of how how uh, a species originated. It, it, acts, it enters into a social fabric of, of cultures. And so what it does is it says, let's kill the weak. Mm-hmm. Let's eliminate the weak. Exactly. Let's eliminate the desire, undesirable, for, those who... For the sake of the race. For the sake of the race, those mm-hmm. who are handicapped. You know, mm-hmm. um, we would not have Special Olympics today if this kind of thought was allowed to manifest itself and be carried on to its nth degree. Mm-hmm. You'd not have the handicapped Olympics. You wouldn't have many other things that would go on where people who, because they'd be considered less than human. And that is such in contrast, that is in such contrast to the teachings of the Savior. You know, we have, we have a torpedo text, Dan. Why don't you share a torpedo text from Isaiah as it describes sort of the ministry of Christ on this the, earth. The coming Messiah, and this is, behold, verse 1, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. In other words, Jesus, when he, Jesus came to not eliminate the weak mm-hmm. through extermination, but right. lift up the weak, heal mm-hmm. the weak, save the weak, give hope to the discourage the weak, mm-hmm. you know, not the, eliminate them. The, the, the one, the, the creation in God's image says that the, the weakest of us is as valuable as the strongest. Mm-hmm. You had a different translation of that smoking flax. What is it that you It says had? a dimly burning wick. Ooh. He will not extinguish. Now, what does that mean, you think? Well, the, the dimly burning wick it could possibly uh, relate to the person's mental capacities. More than likely, it relates spiritual. to their spiritual ideas. Mm-hmm. People who are have a, a very... Just a little knowledge. Just a little knowledge or just a little hope or just mm-hmm. a little whatever. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't come in to squish the good or the light out of you, mm-hmm. but to fan what is good fan in what you. Fan what little flame What little flame there is mm-hmm. left into a glorious blaze. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, he will not, it says, you know, he will not, uh, di- he will not be disheartened or crushed. Jesus himself won't be. And he actually uplifts those who are disheartened and crushed. Just the opposite. So, you know, he isn't discouraged. 
um, by what seems to be failure or lack of success. You know, in, in the ideal dog-eat-dog evolutionary world, it's the successful who are honored. It's the successful who can do this. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't worry about those things, and he actually goes to the weakest. It's a, quite a mm-hmm. testimony against that humanistic concept. Well, Scripture says that God doesn't look as man does on the outside appearance, but rather looks at the human heart, and there's where the value is. And, I mean, we're going to change our bodies anyway. At some yeah. point, God's going to give us uh, glorious, wonderful, eternally ever young bodies, and uh, probably clearer brains even than we currently have. It's hard to imagine, I know. And the, but uh, <laughs> the good things that we're going to get indicate that, you know, the weakness that we see in people today may someday be their strength. You know, there's one aspect I do like. I do mm-hmm. like the word eugenics. Okay. How eugenics, so? you said, meant good birth. Mm-hmm. There is a good birth, Jesus described it, to, <laughs> a old, to an old guy named Nicodemus. No, and leave said, it to Nicodemus, a you need a good birth. You need, <laughs> you need to be born again. Your old birth was a bad one. It's not the birth uh, as a human that's the big issue. It's you need to be born now as a son of God. Mm-hmm. You need to embrace the, the creator and the savior of your soul, you know, so to speak, the, the one who will lift you up and not tear you down. And mm-hmm. so we do, we do here and say that we believe in eugenics only in the <laughs> spiritual sense, the good births of people being born again. Well, eugenics in the, in the bad sense, the evolutionist view, has led to all kinds of problems, including an increase in abortion and so forth, just to try to eliminate those that are a problem in society. That's not the way Jesus was. Jesus came and ministered to the weakest of the weak, a bruised reed he would not harm. And that is Jesus's ministry. So I don't see Jesus passing by the weak to, to go to the strong. I no. see Jesus lingering at the weak. And, 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 and in many cases, like the man by the pool, Jesus says, I'm giving you new birth. Mm-hmm. Get up and walk. Mm-hmm. Jesus lifted up the weak who had never walked and, and give them hope and life. And listener, that's what he can do for you, too. And we hope that you turn in, tune in next week to another episode of Sink the Beagle. Thanks for listening to Sync the Beagle. We'd like to send you a special gift just for being with us today. Write to our email address, beagle at lifetalk.net, and ask for your free copy of Dr. Dwight Nelson's book called Built to Last, A Thoughtful Look at Creation and Evolution. Ask for Built to Last when you write to beagle at lifetalk.net. And be sure to listen in next time to another episode of Sync the Beagle. So join us here each week, my friends, you're sure to get a smile. From seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan's Island.